Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Did you watch any football games this past weekend? Ever wonder how these guys can manage to get tackled, hit, twisted around, and injured so many times and yet still get up and be ready for more? What are the long-term effects of repetitive head injuries? Should we be protecting our heads more even without playing sports? Dr. Robert Sloan's in the studio. We're going to take on the topic of sports-related concussions and head injuries. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, TIAs, or transient ischemic attacks, sometimes referred to as mini-strokes, should result in immediate medical attention. The greatest risk for a full-blown stroke is in the next 48 hours after the TIA symptoms. So what should you do? Well, for years, doctors have suggested that anyone who thinks they may be having a stroke should be evaluated in the emergency room. Are there medications that can help to prevent the bigger stroke from happening? Well, in the latest issue of Stroke Journal, researchers from the CHANCE study have determined that there is a significant benefit from the blocking of platelets and their blood clotting effects, and in this case, two is better than one. The use of clopidogrel, commonly known as Plavix, in addition to aspirin, did not increase the risk of hemorrhages and did statistically significantly decrease the chances of having a major stroke. For anybody who has had a TIA and wonders if they have to keep taking those medicines that make them bruise so much, this study says yes. How long depends on each individual's risk factors, but for now, two is better than one. If you're trying to lose weight, should you just go vegan? In a study out of the University of South Carolina, individuals with a mean body mass index over 35 who volunteered were randomly assigned to a different dietary plan, none of which included counting calories. The diets had varying levels of constraints, some vegetarian, some eating fish but not red meat, others including red meat with some variations. And at eight weeks and six months, the vegan group lost more weight and had lower cholesterol levels to show for it. Hardest part? Sticking to it. At six months, only 30% were still compliant with the vegan diet. However, this does show that focusing on nutrition may just be an additional way to help with not only weight loss, but also cholesterol improvement. And what you eat may just be more important than how much and how many calories. Next time you think of having one of those energy drinks, think of this. A study recently presented at the annual meeting of the North American Radiological Society found that in the heart, the left ventricle, the portion of the heart that pumps blood to the brain and the rest of the body, increases its contraction rate after someone consumes your standard energy drink. This effect can last for several hours, and there is an additional increased risk of heart arrhythmias. The changes were easy to see on cardiac magnetic resonance imaging or cardiac MRI. Long-term effects still not known, but if you're searching for that boost in energy, next time think of taking a healthy heart walk and not necessarily reaching for the strain-inducing energy drinks. Be careful, you'll hit your head. Ever hear that when you were younger? How many times is too many when it comes to brain trauma? Are there long-term effects of concussions that people need to be aware of? 
Should we start looking what's happening in sports and change some of the rules of the game on head contact? Dr. Robert Sloan's in the studio. We're talking about sports-related concussions today and what to do if you've had one or if you want to prevent one. We'd like to hear from you. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Dr. Sloan, welcome to The Body Show. Hey, Kathy. Thanks for having me back again. Happy to have you on. We're going to talk about sports-related concussions. And, you know, since the last time we spoke, this past August, the NFL agreed to a fairly significant $765 million settlement with players over thousands of lawsuits over head injuries. For many, this was a huge victory, especially those affected by the injuries in their families. And we've seen those with local ties, Junior Seau, who lost their lives, whose family claimed that the repetitive head trauma from football led to their demise. Yet the settlement didn't result in the NFL admitting any wrongdoing, opening up their files, or showing anything about what it knew of any links between concussions and later illness in the brain. The medical community knows a lot about concussions and how this affects the brain. Where are we at right now with this? NFL lawsuit settled. Did you hear more about what was underlying all of that? Yeah, I've been very involved. Um, we've learned a lot in the last couple of years. And, you know, unfortunately, back in 2003, the NFL hired some physicians to publish a paper that uh, said that concussions weren't serious, that it was okay to go back to play even the same game the same day after a concussion. And we know that even yesterday, uh, an NFL player suffered a concussion and went back to play the same day, and that there was no increased risk for a second brain injury after the first concussion. Most of this has proved to be not true. And uh, the NFL lawsuit, uh, which was filed by the Players Association, because the players felt that the NFL knew that there was a known severe hazard from concussions that was kept secret. And so, of course, they settled for actually less than my understanding. They asked for $2 billion, give or take, and they settled for $765 million, which sounds like a lot of money. Um, but this was supposed to be used for player testing and for compensation, and it's actually a lot less than they might have deserved. Now, when we think about repetitive head injury, I mean, the other side of that coin is it's we should know better. We know that if you constantly hit your head, there have been different medical terms, dementia pugilista. That's something that the medical community identified with boxers years and years ago. Is there a sense that you knew what you were getting into when you signed up for it? Or is there really a sense that maybe we just didn't know enough about concussions to be able to prevent some of the damage that has occurred to some of these former professional athletes? Well, dementia pugilistica was known and it was also found to be um, uh, chronic brain damage was known to occur in other sports, but it was minimized in football because it was really felt that most of these injuries were mild and you could recover and essentially come back with any long-term sequelae. But in the last two years, we've actually got some real science, some brain biopsies that were done on uh, players that passed away that showed that these injuries to the brain are much more serious than we thought, that you can actually get a chronic brain injury from just a single moderately severe impact. And it turns out that multiple subconcussive blows, uh, blows that are not symptomatic, blows that seem like they shouldn't bother you much, 
that those accumulate over time and cause chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, we've actually known that this was true from subconcussive blows as far back as 1996 in boxing when a study was done at Johns Hopkins that showed this. So, I mean, if you were to try and picture it, people would know if you if you really get a bad bruise, let's say on a muscle or something like that, you see this big purple bluish mark and it goes through various stages of getting lighter and, and eventually hopefully resolving and going away. When we think about the level of bruising that like an external visible site would show like a muscle, there is an inflammatory reaction. There are changes that occur in the muscle structure and in the structure of the layers of the body that try and accommodate for that, that try and heal that area. Is that similar to what we're seeing in the brain? Once you have any type of trauma, you start this inflammatory healing response that in some ways does not get your body back to the way that it was? Yeah, the brain seems to be much more delicate and much more susceptible to injury, and it doesn't heal well. There is a cascade of events, neurotransmitters, uh, the chemicals that uh, provide communication and, and, you know, run the brain. They get disrupted. They don't work as well. The neurons that get injured seem to actually die, and they don't repair as well as other tissues do in the body. And um, I, I always say you can't ice the brain. Most injuries, my favorite treatment is ice or anti-inflammatories. Ice is a natural anti-inflammatory. But in the brain, you can't really ice the brain, and you shouldn't use anti-inflammatories after an injury because it could increase bleeding in the brain. So that's an important point because a lot of people say, you know, I, I hit my head, I have a headache, and or, you know, they might maybe – you know, high school athletes could have been in a game. They had a they had a bad fall or something to that extent, and then they want to take a Tylenol and Advil and aspirin. What you're saying is, don't do that. Well, Tylenol was probably okay if you don't have a liver problem, but uh, anti-inflammatories such as aspirin, um, Aleve, ibuprofen, naproxen, you shouldn't take those because that could essentially, if you do have some bleeding, it could make it worse. Yes, and that could lead to some other damage. Exactly. Now, you mentioned the chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. There have been some folks diagnosed with that. Some people may know these uh, individuals from football. Tony Dorsett, Leonard Marshall, um, Dave Durson, a Chicago Bears player, shot himself. He actually donated his brain to science and said, biopsy my brain, there's something wrong with it. And they documented that it was this chronic traumatic encephalopathy. <laughs> How do you get this? And and is this similar to dementia? Is this just a different type of dementia or along that spectrum? Well, it can certainly lead to dementia. It's uh, a crisis I'd really like to emphasize. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy is chronic brain damage, which seems to be um, much more common in high-impact sports. It's a um, diabolical change in the brain that we're just beginning to learn about it. We're really in the infancy of understanding this. My colleagues at Boston University started studying this two or three years ago, um, and they're finding that there's a protein deposited in the brain that uh, not only seems to be a sign of 
chronic brain damage, but also seems to spread even into tissues that were more normal or perhaps even undamaged later in life. So it's a very serious injury that can show up, as I said, even with a single moderately severe impact, probably more likely to show up with chronic injuries, even chronic what we call subconcussive blows or mild impacts that don't cause symptoms. Now, when we talk about this protein, the tau protein, is that the one we're we're referring to? So this gets deposited in the brain, and it's almost like sludge. You know, it's not going to allow the brain to function the way that it wants to. Alzheimer's is associated with an amyloid protein, and it's similar. It's like sludge. It's these little tangles. It's like getting something all stuck. And the poor neurons can't transmit their messages because they just have too many other things in the way. So when we talk about this chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE, we're we're talking about the NFL a lot because there's been a lot of documented evidence that this is somewhat a particular sport where you can have repetitive blows. You know, I know Brett Favre came out and said, I'm not coming back. I can't remember my daughter's soccer games. There's a problem here. Too much head trauma. But what other sports might this happen in? Well, it turns out it's common in boxing and football and MMA probably. It's even common in soccer from heading the ball. And here in Hawaii, we actually have a higher incidence in uh, women's basketball, in uh, volleyball, and even in cheerleading. Additionally, recently we're starting to see more and more of these uh, injuries diagnosed, not not the chronic traumatic encephalopathy, but just concussions, which we probably should uh, define for the listeners, but uh, we're even finding it in wrestlers and judo. So let's talk about concussion, because we've thrown out a couple of terms, concussion, subconcussive blows, and then CTE. So to define concussion, how would you describe well, that? A concussion is a brain injury. And it's a brain injury that's sustained by a traumatic impact. It doesn't have to be to the head. It could just be to the body, causing the head to move and then causing the brain to slosh around inside the skull. I call it shaken and stirred. The axons, the nerve cells themselves, get twisted, torn, what we call sheared, and they get damaged in this way. This is what's called diffuse axonal injury, the axons being those nerve cells. And in addition to that, of course, you can have bruising and bleeding and that kind of thing. But the concussion itself is, is a, um, it's an, a derangement of the nervous system, so you don't have to have loss of consciousness. You just have to have a change in consciousness. So anything from being confused to dazed to seeing stars to having memory loss, all those things are very important. And it's, I, I want to reiterate, it's not just, but I didn't pass out, I didn't lose consciousness. It's the effect on the brain with a change in your consciousness. You could just act weird, say, wait a minute, where am I after you've been injured, either your body or your head? You don't have to actually be be out of it. You, you don't have to lose consciousness. Exactly. Even more subtle changes, just not feeling right, just not feeling yourself, feeling out of it, not being able to perform as fast or well in school or in sport. Those kind of things are all signs of concussions. With some type of bodily injury. Yes. To the head or elsewhere. Now, you mentioned subconcussive blows, and that would be below the 
the definition or the threshold of a concussion. How would we distinguish those? Yeah, it's probably a misnomer. I don't actually like to use it, but it's the new phrase because subconcussive, as I said, as early as uh, the early 90s when my colleagues did studies at Johns Hopkins, turns out that the more subtle minor impacts, even from just practice, so in boxers, for instance, just practicing hitting each other, without a concussion, without a ding, without seeing stars. In football, just the chronic impacts from day-to-day playing um, have led to chronic injuries that are very serious. And that's why we've already seen changes. We've seen changes that are going to limit the um, velocity, the force of impact. And we've seen changes in the way we practice now where they're trying to decrease the number of impacts just to decrease these subconcussive, which are subclinical asymptomatic brain injuries. So in that case, you feel fine. You have no symptoms. And yet you're still having the repetitive blows that could lead to a problem later on, as opposed to concussion, you have a symptom. Yeah, this is one of the scariest things is it seems to be these less noticeable multiple impacts that can lead to these chronic devastating changes that are the crisis in sports today. And that crisis we're describing is the CTE? Yes, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Yes, of course, there can be very serious injuries just from a single impact. You can die from a single impact. We lost two high school students to football concussions this year in the United States already. Um, the, The thinking, though, is that you're actually getting 6 to 12 concussive or subconcussive level impacts per game on average anyway. And some football players, you know, we've measured that they're getting you know, 10, 20, 30 impacts a game. And it's only the later impacts, which may even be lesser degree, less force, that they start feeling symptomatic and actually get the concussion from. But uh, the reason I brought that up is there's a serious thing called second impact syndrome. So if you have a concussion and you go back to play before you're fully healed, you can get another minor concussion that actually causes death. And that in in that situation, clearly, it's more serious than the first episode, and you went back too soon. Yes. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robert Sloan. We are talking about sports-related concussions and head injuries. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are we doing right here in the islands to help make sure that our high school students and even those younger are not going to be permanently affected by having repetitive head injuries. We're going to talk about some latest statistics on what's going on and how many we've had so far since the beginning of the school year, which just started a few months ago. If you have a question or if you have been somebody in sports who have had a concussion or someone you love has, we'd love to hear from you. Share your story. Maybe help somebody else along the way. You can give us a holler at 941-3689. Toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. On the next Humankind, what Rumi is trying to do is he's trying to teach us to long for something. The surprising appeal of Jalaluddin Rumi, whose Sufi verses have made him the best-selling poet in America. Michael Green, illustrator of Rumi Books, explains the ancient writer's modern appeal. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind. This evening at 6.30, right after Marketplace. 
Former Missouri Poet Laureate David Cluel says he's not above embellishing memories to create poems like the one where his father was duped by Orson Welles. It's all true, even if it all didn't actually happen quite that way. <laughs> David Cluel discusses making poetry from family stories and pop culture as he reads from his books The Low End of Higher Things and Take It Somehow by Surprise on New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We are talking about the reasons why you shouldn't keep hitting your head. Or unfortunately, if you're in a sport that results in head injuries, why you really want to take that seriously. What happens to you now could definitely affect you for the rest of your life. Dr. Robert Sloan is here in the studio with me. He is an expert with physical medicine and rehabilitation and does work throughout the islands to try and help people who have these types of injuries and other brain Related effects. You can join our conversation at 941 3689, toll free neighbor islands 877 941 3689. All right, Dr. Sloan, I'm sufficiently scared about subconcussive blows and concussions and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. All right. So this is what we're seeing in some of the people, maybe some of the professionals who have played sports, but what are we doing locally to try and determine when it's safe? for kids to go back. We've had how many concussions this year already? I think you mentioned August alone up until now. It's like 193 documented concussions in high school sports here in the islands. Um, You mentioned there were over 1,000 last year. What are we doing locally? Yeah, I wanted to emphasize 193 just in the month of August, and the most common were in football, but also girls' volleyball and in cheerleading. We're actually seeing a lot of concussions over the last couple of years in cheerleading from uh, the throws and, and drops that are occurring in cheerleading. What we're doing is we have a Hawaii concussion awareness management program. We've actually been studying through a um, Act 197 that was introduced uh, by um, Yamane uh, earlier last year. Um, it requires the DOE and the HHSAA, the High School Athletic Association, to develop a concussion education program to provide guidelines to all the schools, including the coaches, the directors, even the parents and the athletes. And we want to educate the students um, all the way to the administrators about the significance of concussion. Um, we provide annual coaches education that's required every year for them to uh, perform a a training session in concussion, and um, we uh, must have the athletes, uh, after a concussion is diagnosed, um, see a licensed professional to get released back to sport. Unfortunately, we didn't do what a lot of states did and require a expert in concussion to release them back. Um, and then uh, we also require mandatory removal from play after a concussion and monitoring by athletic trainers, which by law are required at every um, public high school now, uh, which is something that uh, we've been trying to do for years. So we finally got that done. Um, so what we're doing is we're doing neuropsych testing called impact testing on every athlete before the season starts. By law, we actually have to test every athlete. And as you mentioned, we did uh, well over 10,000 tests uh, last year. And we found 1,140 concussions across all sports. And uh, this year we did uh, as many, if not more, 
And what I want to point out is that uh, brain injuries occur up to 3 million times a year across our nation, and we have 5 million survivors in the United States and 30,000 military who I also take care of. This doesn't include the mild traumatic brain injuries. This is just serious brain injuries seen in the emergency room. So these subconcussive blows and the milder brain injuries, even the high school students without this law, wouldn't be required to go to the emergency room. They would be required to see a physician, but we may never document the number of these that are occurring because these statistics are based on emergency room visits. So we haven't even begun to tap into the number of concussions that are occurring. Anyway, in this state, the athlete has to go through prior neuropsych testing called impact testing to document how their brain is doing before the season starts. Then if they get a concussion, the athletic trainers are providing post-injury neuropsych testing to determine whether they're ready to go back to sport. The reason this is important is until recently, neuropsych tests were the most sensitive, really the only thing we had to rely on if an athlete said, I'm fine, I want to go back. Or if a parent said, my kid is fine, I want him to go back. We didn't have any way of proving unless they had serious symptoms and we could demonstrate neurologic injury. But because most of these concussions don't have uh, signs that are sh easily show up, we needed the neuropsych testing to document that they have ongoing brain dysfunction, which has been shown to go on for weeks, if not months, after a single concussion. So by the rules now, and this is really, really helping a lot, these concussed athletes are being pulled from the game, not allowed to return until their neuropsych testing goes back to normal and until they're seen by a physician. My preference would be an expert who knows about concussion and release to go back to sport. Then we have one ad additional step. Then the athletic trainers monitor them and do a s minimum six-day progression to get them back to sport. That would start with conditioning that wouldn't allow impact, gentle aerobic conditioning, then some sports-specific exercises, maybe some weight training, and then finally some light contact. And finally, if they're asymptomatic, still normal, they can go back and play. This usually takes a number of weeks. On average, our athletes are taking three weeks or more to get back to sport after a single concussion. Well, and it certainly sounds like we've made some significant headway in trying to address this issue for the athletes. And I want to talk about the impact testing in just a minute. We've got a caller on the line. We have Dave from Kalihi. Dave, welcome to The Body Show. Are Hi. You... Hi, Dave. What can we do for you? Uh, yes, I was wondering, are, are there any uh, current studies going on as far as um, studying uh, chronic uh, traumatic brain injuries uh, with MRIs? Uh, right now. Are there any institutions in Hawaii? Uh, in my case, I'm a former soccer player who's uh, spent years of uh, getting, uh, we'll call it mild concussions or uh, sub-concussions and a few major ones, and now I'm feeling, uh, as we uh, call them, senior moments. And I'm wondering, uh, is there any way to test for this? It's a great question, Dave. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Uh, I'm 57 right now. So you're a little too young to have senior moments. Uh, of course. That's one of my concerns. <laughs> it's a great question. All right. So, you know, Dr. Sloan, here's a perfect example. Here's somebody who's had these episodes previously, and now they're starting to see some of the changes 
how can we monitor chronic traumatic encephalopathy? Is the neuropsychiatric testing one of the ways that we can document even somebody who's years after playing sports that they can see where their baseline is and see if they do have some dysfunction? Is that helpful at all? Yes, I've been promoting neuropsych testing for years and now it's instrumental in diagnosis. Um, it's not 100%, but it's very useful for determining if you have some type of cognitive or behavioral problems that are related to uh, any condition, for instance, dementia versus um, brain injury, concussive injuries, that kind of thing. Um, you asked about MRI in particular, though. Now, MRI, you know, concussions by definition aren't supposed to have anatomical changes. So uh, CAT scans, MRIs haven't been useful in diagnosing concussion. Until recently, we have a new kind of MRI called diffusion tensor imaging. It, again, isn't 100%, but it is able to show more subtle what are called exonal injuries. It's probably more useful at the research level than for everyday diagnosis and treatment, um, but it would be um, interesting to get something done like that, and but the neuropsych testing may be uh, more sensitive in some respects. The, um, the question you had about is there anybody currently doing research on this in the state, I don't think so, but at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, where I'm at, we're considering getting involved in something like that. And we do have MRI scans in the state that can perform the diffusion tensor imaging now. Other functional tests, such as PET scans and SPEC scans, that show functional changes. So it's not an anatomical disruption, at least not one that you can see easily without uh, biopsying the brain, but it's a functional physiologic disruption of the the way uh, glucose is used by the brain, which is the most uh, important nutrient for the brain, or the way the electrons, the, you know, the uh, neurons are working in the brain. We can show more subtle disruptions with these kind of studies. And because you were a soccer player, I think I understood, it is uh, you know, much more common in soccer players that headed the ball a lot to have kind of chronic uh, injuries. These would often be subconcussive, but could be also concussive injuries. All right, Dave, did you have a follow-up question for us? Okay, yes. Uh, concerning uh, all this uh, rehabilitation, um, have there been any studies on uh, Far Eastern um, meditative techniques? I specifically refer to Sukhyo Mahakari or Reiki uh, with connection with the light as far as possibly rewiring the brain. Any studies on that? That's really interesting that you would ask. I was trained both in China and Germany, and I'm very holistic in my approach, but we don't have a lot of good research on it. There are institutions, including the Department of Defense, for our veterans who have complementary and alternative medicine available to veterans, for instance, to use. This includes things like acupuncture and what I call standard physical medicine techniques also, which would be uh, TENS units and things like that. There is a um, facility in town who also provides uh, cognitive training using visual computer-based uh, um, biofeedback techniques to help uh, uh, improve brain function. All right, Dave. So wishing you the best. 
it sounds like, you know, doing some of the neuropsychiatric testing really would be helpful for somebody who's concerned that maybe previous head trauma could cause them a problem now. And if even if they're concerned and not convinced, then that'll be a good baseline for them for the future. So you can actually do that. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for complementary and alternative medicine. And certainly I don't think there's ever been seen to have any negative side effects to meditation and to some of those things. So if you think it's going to help you, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't mention, you know, things like yoga and Tai Chi Chuan and those kind of things. I often actually recommend those. I especially like Tai Chi Chuan if you're not, you know, if you don't have a balance problem where you might fall and hurt yourself again. Um, massage is good for everyone for many, many things. Um there are many different alternative approaches uh, that actually come within the realm of physical medicine, which is my expertise, that are helpful for any number of neurologic and uh, musculoskeletal conditions. In China, they use acupuncture way more than I ever imagined. When I was there, instead of once a week, which is hard enough to get approved here in Hawaii, they were providing acupuncture on a daily basis for a number of neurologic conditions. And they were seeing results with that. Yes. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Now, let's talk about the impact testing. I went to their website. If anybody wants to go take a look, you can just Google impact testing, and there's a whole series of things that you can look at, and they have a section for health professionals, for athletic trainers, for students, for parents, for teachers, etc. Now, you know, I, I, I wanted to try one of these neuropsychiatric tests. I wanted to do an impact test and see where I stood. You have to sign up and you have to pay for a certain number of these to qualify. But I'm curious, Dr. Sloan, neuropsychiatric testing in general, what exactly are they looking at? And how can it be that sensitive to determine some of these subtle changes in the brain? Is it because our level of functioning? Are we looking at colors? Are we looking at letters? What is a... What is, what is incorporated in neuropsychiatric testing? Well, there's a lot of different kinds. You can have one-on-one face-to-face with a neuropsychologist. You can have computerized tests, and they, they, they've been working on these things for many years. They were working on them before I even got into medicine, and I've been advocating neuropsych tests because of their sensitivity and because they show subtle cognitive and behavioral problems that don't show up otherwise um, ever since I got started talking about this 20 years ago. Um, what they test for are things like processing speed. Um, it's, it's, there's, they, they test every kind of brain function you can imagine. And some, some kinds of brain functions are more affected by concussive injuries, and some are more affected by Alzheimer's, and they can actually try to differentiate the different kinds of injuries by using specific kinds of neuropsych tests. We have different levels. We have ones that are tailored for children. You know, for an adult, you might ask a more advanced question that a child wouldn't even understand, so you have to be more careful. Um, Actually, we were just worried about this in my office because I have some young kids coming in, and there's a uh, subtle cognitive function called abstraction that we test for. And abstraction is one of the first things you lose and one of the last things that comes back after a concussion. So I'd like to be able to use that for children, but they don't understand abstraction. You can't ask them questions like... uh, like, uh, what does it mean, uh, don't cry over spilt milk? Or what does it mean a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush? So you ask them more 
uh, simple things like what's the similarity between an apple and an orange? And you see if they can answer that quickly and accurately. And you actually measure the speed and the results. And after many, many different types of questions, looking at things from all different angles, which the neuropsychologists are much better at than I am, they're able to tease out um, memory problems, processing speed problems, uh, just whatever cognitive uh, impairments, executive function, planning, judgment issues, things like that. They also can measure, do you get frustrated easily? And they actually include measurements uh, that measure whether you're being honest in your testing too, so they can weigh that against the results. I kind of want to do that now. I mean, I sort of feel like I'd love to do some neuropsychiatric testing in a weird kind of way. I mean, you know, it's, now I want to do it. We've got a caller on the line. Maybe she wants to do it, too. We've got Marianne from Kaneohe. Marianne, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. What can we do for you? Uh, yeah, back in uh, 1977, I was in a head-on collision, and I guess it was like a 90-mile-an-hour, you know, together. And my head hit on the right on the window frame that kept me from, you know, going out the front window. Um, and I had a, a scan done on my brain about three years ago, and they saw two lesions on it, and I'm going back for another one. But as I'm getting older, um, I just seem like I'm noticing a lot of changes in my brain. Things have been really difficult with my brain, it feels like, my whole life, I mean, since the accident. But um, as I'm getting older, if I get too stressed out, my brain kind of like shuts down, and I get um, agitated, very agitated. If I if I get too much stuff going on, because it seems like my brain just wants to shut down, like not function at all. Like I just stare, and I'm not really thinking on anything. And I do re- residential appraising uh, for a living, and sometimes I just can't even figure out problem solving, which I'm really good at usually. But when I get overstressed, it's just like everything shuts down dramatically. I just wonder if that has anything to do with an injury back in 77. It's a great question, Marianne, and I'm sorry you have to suffer with a lot of those symptoms because clearly you're identifying that you just don't feel as though you're functioning the way you expect to. Doctor function normally like other people do. I mean, I get I get very very agitated and almost you can't stop me. It kind of gets in a cycle and I can't stop. And I do calm down after a while, but Now, Dr. Sloan, I'm curious, in somebody like this, you know, this was, boy, you know, 30, 40 years ago, they had a major head injury. Is this one of those things where we see later in life that they may have some behavior-related changes maybe started after the accident? Or could it be something totally unrelated? I mean, there are these mysterious lesions in the brain that Marianne's having checked again. But could this be the long-term effect of a major head injury at such a long, at a serious velocity? Well, I would be concerned uh, to compare prior studies. I don't think we had MRI back in the 70s, but if a CAT scan showed a bleed in the area where she's now having lesions, then you you can correlate them with a prior injury. Um, then I'd feel more uh, assured that this these lesions are from the prior injury. But I also wanted to say that... Um, 
when you shut down, this is God's way of telling you you need to rest. And also, uh, sometimes, it, you know, it's an emotional reaction where you just want to get away from a stressor or whatever's overwhelming you. But this, again, is your brain telling you, boy, you need to rest. You need to get into a quiet, you know, calmer area, whether you, you know, hide in a room or put dark glasses on just so your brain can calm down and rest. This is also very important after an initial concussion is to provide rest as the primary treatment and not overload the brain with, uh, too, you know, uh, too many uh, activities or, or impulses or, or inputs that you have to juggle. Too much stimulation is just too much in that scenario. Yes. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robert Sloan. We are talking about sports-related head injuries. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the new things we're doing here in the islands and how these injuries can affect not just the way somebody feels, but also how they function in school and, you know, presumably ways that, you know, they, they might be impacted for the rest of their athletic life as well. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. The HPR News Department reports aren't only on the air. Their daily reports are posted on our website. Noe Tanagawa with Arts and Culture Reports, political reporter Wayne Yoshioka's updates on the legislature, Bill Dorman's news of Asia and the Pacific, Dave Lawrence with the latest pop star interview, the HPR News Department at hawaiipublicradio.org. They're just a click away. So you walk into the supermarket and wonder, how did they know I wanted instant ginger broth? We're in their homes. We are cooking with them. We're eating with them. We're shopping with them. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, following the food trends, next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6, following The Body Show. Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Robert Sloan. We are talking about sports-related head injuries and what happens when you get some bad hits to your head. If you've got a question, you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Sloan, we were talking about, you know, the scary things. Now I never want to hit my head. But not everybody who gets a concussion gets the chronic traumatic encephalopathy. A lot of people recover, go back to their usual daily activities, and they're okay. How many folks wind up with the progressive troubles later in life? Do we Um, know that? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It does seem to be more common in a subset of people that we're starting to understand. So there are a lot of studies going on right now. Um, There are genetic predispositions, APOE4E, an allele, a gene that seems to be more common in people that get chronic traumatic encephalopathy and Alzheimer's for that matter, uh, seems to be important. There are other gene uh, loci that we're trying to look at to see if if they're also important. We don't really understand. It's not a, a cause and effect relationship, but it just increases your predisposition to get um, brain injury and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We actually are hoping to be able to use those kinds of studies to help determine who might be able to participate in the more dangerous sports without suffering these severe consequences. Now, let's just talk about a high school football game. All right. 
People go to see them all the time. Lots of families get all excited, get involved. Let's talk about an athlete on the field. And we'll just make it a football player, although it could equally be a cheerleader. So somebody's out there, they get injured, they hit their head, they're unconscious. What is the first thing that should be done for them? Well, first thing as we're doing now is get them off the field, remove them from play, don't let them get another concussion. And by the way, uh, what we call sports synergy is very important because here in Hawaii, as elsewhere, they might go out and go surfing afterwards when they're told you can't play football, and then they could suffer an injury. And it turns out that even uh, orthopedic injuries are increased after a concussion. So if you're out surfing, you're not going to be 100%. You're more likely to get injured. Please don't go out on big waves. We actually have a lot of big wave surfers and even uh, um, lifeguards in, in our practice over in uh, Kailua that we're taking care of. Of course, you know, a big wave is going to slam you down and it's like hitting a concrete wall or floor when you get hit and you'll lose consciousness and, of course, the risk of drowning. The, the same thing is true for any sport. If, you, uh, if you've had a concussion and you've been pulled from football and you decide to go out and uh, go boxing, you, you know, your chances of getting another uh, concussion are very high. So the first thing that you want to do is get that person off the field Yes, and not let them go back to immediately playing again or cheering again or whatever they were doing. Um, do they always have to go to the emergency room? No. If there's neurologic uh, findings, you know, if there's weakness, vomiting, you know, bad dizziness that doesn't go away – increasing headache, anything that shows a focal neurologic injury, they should go to the emergency room right away. Um, more and more we worry if there's been any loss of consciousness, you might want to go to the emergency room just to get checked by somebody who actually knows what they're doing. Um, but athletic trainers are very well trained on the field to assess these things and decide. And if you wake up quickly um, and you feel fine, that's not uh, – you probably don't have to go to the emergency room. The one caveat to that, though, is something called um, a lucid interval that can occur with an epidural bleed where you get a sudden injury – you lose consciousness, you wake up and you feel fine, and then while you're sitting on the bench or back in the locker room in the showers, you suddenly collapse from a um, deadly uh, epidural arterial bleed in the brain. So these athletes should always be watched closely, and uh, our recommendation is they stay out at least a week would be the old way of saying it. I think it's probably better to stay out three to four weeks um, but you also need to not let yourself uh, get deconditioned or go into depression if somebody tells you you can't play. In our practice, we feel it's very important to reassure the athlete and help them get back to play and prevent the dep serious depressions that it can occur in these young kids who have invested themselves and their whole lives into a sport which becomes – um, the definition of themselves, they lose themselves when they lose their sport. And that can actually be worse than the concussion itself. So if somebody were to be in that scenario, whether it be football player, cheerleader, whatnot, and they're told you can't go back to that particular sport, you don't necessarily want them to go to another activity where they could have a heavy impact. Could they do something non-impact like I'm going to go walking or jogging or do something where I'm not likely to injure my head? Is that a possibility to help avoid that sort of 
inactivity depression, or do you really need to just not do anything? You know, if there's a serious problem like a bleed or a bad contusion or or post-traumatic seizures, of course you're going to say you shouldn't participate in other high-impact competitive uh, uh, sports. Um, But you can always go back to a sport where there's less chance of injury. I would caution against skateboarding also, by the way, even if you wear a helmet, the chance of getting a brain injury is very high. Um, But I try to encourage them, if they've had only a concussion, I try to reassure them that we might be able to get them back even to the same sport and that if we wait long enough, the chance of doing that is much higher. Again, the problem is going back too soon, suffering another concussion, and then having to be delayed from returning again even longer. In boxing, we had the most... Um, conservative return to play recommendations, a single ding, and it happened just a couple of weeks ago at the state championships, a single ding without loss of consciousness, you're required to stay out of boxing with no contact and no competition for a month. And if you get another one, we triple that to three months. If you get loss of consciousness, it goes up to nine months. So that was built in for the last 20 years, and boxing probably – Uh, was the most conservative of all sports. And now we're finally trying to catch up in other sports and uh, letting people know you should stay out for quite a long time. Again, you got to be completely asymptomatic and hopefully no signs of neurocognitive dysfunction. All right. We've got a caller on the line. We've got John from Haula. John, welcome to The Body Show. Uh, Thank you very much. Appreciate it. What can we do for you today? Um. I'm 69 years old, and I had a, a rugged uh, athletic upbringing, high school, junior high school, football, wrestling, um, baseball, uh, college football, wrestling, rugby, and uh, after college rugby for about 15 years, sumo wrestling for about 20 years, and I also did a lot of fooling around with trampoline, and I've been knocked unconscious four times that I know of that uh, I, ne- I I didn't regain consciousness like, right right there, like on the field that I remembered. I, I would get injured, and uh, all of a sudden I'd be sitting home or in my dorm uh, five hours later and kind of look around and go, what am I doing here? The last thing I remember, I was in class taking math notes, and that whole episode of being on the field or on the, on the wrestling mat was just completely gone. And that happened four different times. I believe it was four different times. Um, I had a, probably a total of about 140 stitches in the head. I counted uh, a couple of years ago with my daughters. We were just talking about things. And I don't feel any major significant uh, issues right now, but doctors have told me, and I've read a lot about concussions, and I know uh, I'm just wondering early onset uh, what are some symptoms I might look for or uh, are there anything that I can do now to kind of after the fact uh, watch or check? Or I'm just not sure what. My wife says I'm forgetful a little bit more than I used to be, but I think everybody when you're you're 70 probably gets more forgetful. I feel fine. True, I do John. get headaches now and then, but uh, pretty severe, but uh, maybe twice a month for a day or two. Well, it sounds like... You know, you're one of those people who did fairly well, or so you think, you know, and I'm glad that you've kept active your whole life. It sounds like you've been quite the athlete. But one of the things you mentioned just struck me, and you said, your wife says you're kind of forgetful. And I think one of the things people have to be careful with is, if you don't remember stuff, 
you may not have the insight to say this is a problem. You might not realize you're asking your wife to say the same thing five times in a row, and she may not feel comfortable telling you, honey, listen, I just answered that. What, what's the deal here? So getting an assessment from other people around you is, is definitely very helpful. But, you know, the other question you asked, which was great, which was what can you do now? Are there any signs or symptoms to worry about? And is there anything you can do to protect yourself? Dr. Sloan, should somebody like John just hang up his hat and no longer be doing the stuff that causes head trauma? Well, John, I congratulate you. It sounds like you were very athletic and uh, a lot of high impact. I'm, I'm familiar with wrestling. Uh, also, my daughter's an all-American wrestler, and um, I've actually asked her to uh, stop wrestling because of the things we've learned in the last couple of years. But as I said, there's, uh, there's you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 percent of us that are more susceptible to these chronic problems. And it sounds like you might be in that other group. Um, but the subtle changes that we can measure with neuropsych testing, we actually have a neuropsych training program and complete neuropsychological testing facility over at Castle. Um, we can kind of tease some things out and see if your your memory problems are as serious as your wife might think or that you might worry about. Um, What are the chances uh, of this being related to concussions? It could still be related to concussions. It could be related to other things. We have ways of measuring your nerve function, even in your arms and legs, that can help us tease out could there be something else going on causing memory problems. But I really congratulate you. It sounds like you had an active life. My goal is to keep children playing sports safely, and uh, it sounds like uh, you've done quite well. But if you do have questions, certainly I would get it looked at. You need an exam, somebody to take a good history, somebody to do a good neurologic exam, and then possibly uh, neuropsych testing would be uh, all that was necessary. Okay. Um, no particular symptoms I should be looking for, and nothing I can do at the moment to Good question. The chronic traumatic encephalopathy symptoms, there actually seems to be two different types. In young people, it seems to be more emotional, uh, emotional outbursts, more um, what are called affective. And in later years, it's more memory. So the memory issues are always there. If you don't have a family history of Alzheimer's, you have less to worry about. But depression is also a, a really big component um, memory problems cause frustration and irritability. Um, you know, if you get more frustrated, can't juggle tasks as well, blow up at your wife or kids, or just uh, feel chronically irritable, uh, this can be due to depression, can be due to memory problems. Having memory problems makes it hard to learn, makes it hard to. Uh, handle things, makes it hard to remember that you were having problems and help help you learn how to manage them, you know, accept them and and um, handle them. So it's very complex, but those are the main things to look for, I think. All right, Jack, I do. Uh, John, I do hope that uh, you do well in Haula and you keep active but never have another injury. And I'm curious, you know, Dr. Sloan, what can any of us do to keep our brains healthy. Let's just say maybe you had some concussions and injuries in the past. Is there anything people can do to make sure that they're not exacerbating the problem? Yeah, I think um, actually there's a, there's a, um, 
internet uh, viral video right now of a, of a man throwing his children around. Uh, and I'm very aggressive and active with my kids. And um, I think one thing is to realize the brain is very delicate and you don't want to be bumping it if you can help it. Um, so being careful driving, not having car accidents, being careful climbing trees, your mango tree, you know, your lychee tree, very dangerous falling and getting a brain injury. Uh, but from a, from a, just a maybe nutritional and lifestyle aspect, I would say exercise, being strong. Uh, we talked earlier about women um, strengthening their necks because they seem to have a little higher incidence of concussion than men in a lot of sports. And uh, being strong and in good condition. Um, we like to match uh, children to their sport, be sure that they're big enough, strong enough, and uh, trained well enough to participate and limit their injuries. Um, also, we talked a little bit about alternative medicine. I think um, there might be some hope for omega-3 fatty acids to help the brain recover and function. There's still a lot of study that needs to be done on that, but it seems to be helpful in some eye conditions, and the eye is a direct extension of the brain. So people are looking into that a lot also. Um, there does seem to be some protective effect from coffee and from anti-inflammatories. Now, if you've had a concussion, I said don't take anti-inflammatories. If you wait a week or two and you're not having a progressive increasing headache, the chances that you have a bleed are very low, and you could start using anti-inflammatories afterwards. But uh, initially, I wouldn't recommend it. But some studies have shown that anti-inflammatory medications such as ibuprofen seem to have somewhat of a preventive effect on Alzheimer's-like dementias. You made a lot of coffee drinkers happy. You said coffee as well. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I think the other thing that I've heard is what's good for your heart is good for your brain. So make sure your blood pressure is low. Make sure you keep your cholesterol low. Try not to let sugars get out of control. If you have diabetes, keep those levels lower because we're talking about blood vessels. They go to your heart. They go to your brain. You may have injured some of the nerves in your brain, but make sure you nourish them. And like you mentioned with the omega-3 fatty acids, other things people can do in their diet and just generally trying to stay healthy or do exercise without injuring their head, all those things can help. Yeah, also I'd like to mention alcohol. Alcohol is is a nerve toxin. And in my practice, I find alcohol nerve damage in people who only drink two or three drinks a day. And so the reason I mention it is we have a lot of marketing going on where they say that wine is good for you, good for your heart, good for your brain. Um, I actually find in my practice that it's risky to drink alcohol at all. And the other risk is alcohol makes you impulsive and less able to prevent injuries, more likely to get in accidents like car accidents. So I really am finding it uh, almost every day I see a patient with alcohol-related nerve damage. And what that also means is they're getting brain damage from the alcohol. Your brain's a bunch of nerves. Yeah, and if so anybody, troubles, okay. anybody with a concussion, of course, I have to tell them not to drink alcohol because it increases the damage and it increases your chance of having another concussion. Okay, so we've made the coffee drinkers happy and the wine drinkers not so much. All right. <laughs> Dr. Sloan, thanks so much for coming back on, sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Dr. Robert Sloan is a physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist, currently practicing at Castle at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, but also in Hilo and uh, with the veterans on Maui as well. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can go to our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. 
Follow the links to The Body Show, and you can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about sudden cardiac death and automatic external defibrillators. Could you save a life if somebody was unconscious in front of you and needed to be shocked? We'll talk with an expert to help you become a lifesaver. That's going to be Monday at 5 right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.